The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. To the Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-host, Millie Wood. Hello, everyone. I should have said my super co-host, because they're super, and Professor X. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 2, Episode 3, which was titled, The Thing in the Mines, and aired January 25th, 2022. Here is the official synopsis of the episode. Lois reaches out to retired General Lane as Clark's visions become worse during heated arguments with both Jonathan and Jordan. Meanwhile, Lana shares her frustrations with Kyle. Natalie learns that her father didn't follow through on a promise he made to her. Okay. We've actually got a lot to discuss. Something big happened in this episode. Um, You would have thought that the CW was paying us to misdirect people as much as they were misdirecting people. We didn't get paid, I promise. Um, so we're going to actually start off with a thing in the mines because I, I really want to talk about it because, whoa, it was a misdirect. And you would have thought that after Lois said, now's not the time to go all doomsday on me, to know that they were not going doomsday on all of us. So, you know, we don't talk about doomsday. That's because we don't need to talk about doomsday. We got about we got to talk about that bizarre Superman, Bizarro. All right, people. So uh, t- to set up at least this portion of the discussion, there's a fight in the mines. The thing breaks free. It's in a suit. It attacks the miners, um, the uh, the Amertech people. Uh, we've got Superman showing up. We've got John Henry Irons suiting up as Steel, and I will say a spectacular slow motion moment there are sort of solar flares and fights the suit breaks and it's freaking tyler hecklin with a whole bunch of gray makeup on and then at the end of the episode we see him in the flesh he's speaking backwards it's very bizarre it's a whoa moment we're gonna get expert opinion from a comic book person in a moment, so let's go with the layperson first. Millie Wood, what the hell did we watch? Were you surprised? Did you think it was bizarre? How bizarre? How bizarre? Like the 90s song? What did you think? Were you completely mind blown? I was very confused. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. I have no idea what, like, I've, like, read articles about, like, what Doomsday is supposed to look like, or even, like, what Bizarre 
oh looks like so i was just like it doesn't seem like someone that brings the doom so <laughs> like this can't be right but i had no idea who it was um but i, I knew we had been duped so I, I was definitely liked all the misdirect um and because they were so leaning heavily towards that idea that it was going to be one um and so it was, it was really smart on the writers and i appreciate the turn even though i didn't really understand it yeah, the internet went crazy saying that it was Doomsday. That's why I went crazy saying that it was Doomsday. And we all went crazy agreeing that it was Doomsday. And apparently his introduction is very much like Doomsday in the comics, but then it just veered in a very different direction. Um, yes. And apparently the character was speaking backwards, uh, when with the two times that the character spoke, which I think is fascinating, we did get the the backwards um, thing, the title card at the end of the episode. Professor Milliewood and I have no idea who this bizarro Superman is. So can you fill us in a little bit on any comic book information about how this character could have potentially been created here on Superman and Lois? And uh, also, I would love to hear your opinions on not only the misdirection, but the reveal. You know what? Great job of a misdirect and uh, and great job of the reveal as well. This is clearly a slightly different Bizarro from, you know, the comic classic comic book version, although there are different Bizarros depending on which version of Superman you're looking at. Um, I think this one ties into what we talked about, you know, a couple of episodes ago, the idea that whatever is hidden in the minds is an old U.S. government experiment trying to create their own Superman. And I think if you look at this version of Bizarro, his face looks stitched together. Um, you know, like, you know, he's been sort of, you know, Frankensteined together uh, as opposed to, you know, being, you know, an organic creature. But basically, Bizarro Superman is, you know, uh, a reverse Superman. So his eyes shoot cold rather than heat. Um, but he still has, you know, all the strength and everything like that. He's traditionally portrayed as as a very dumb character, uh, you know, reverse, you know, me am Bizarro, me am Superman. If he's your friend, he calls you his enemy. It's sort of, you know, vaguely akin to an even dumber version of the Incredible Hulk. Um, so as I say, I think it was a great misdirect. I think it, that if you had any doubts, is this really supposed to be Bizarro? The fact that they gave us the flip version of the Superman and Lois title card at the end was their way of just, you know, that little wink of, ha ha, you thought it was Doomsday, didn't you? Well, we fooled. And honestly, I, I, I'm glad for that because I think this ties into the whole, you know, government conspiracy angle uh, a little bit better. And as soon as you introduce Doomsday, you are setting up the death of Superman, which, as I said, you know, we talked about it last week. I said, you know, why are they doing that when they just did that over in, you know, the the uh, the Zack Snyder movies? You know, uh, why would you introduce a character whose sole purpose is to kill Superman? Uh, you know, on this show. And and when we know you're not really going to kill him, you, all you could do is set up a world with those Superman for X number of episodes. Instead, we have this, you know, much more interesting villain. Um, and again, I, I don't know which version of, uh, of Superman, uh, sorry, which version of Bizarro they're going with. It is kind of interesting that, that they're bringing back Lucy uh, Lane in this same episode, because in the John Byrne run, when he rebooted Superman, one of the things he did was he rebooted Bizarro. And I think he was the first to introduce the idea that Bizarro was an attempt, in on this case by Lex Luthor, to clone Superman. And the cloning simply didn't work because Superman's Kryptonian. Uh, and so they just dumped the uh, the body thinking it would be destroyed. And it turns out it lived because it's bizarro uh and in that version of it uh you know he was you know the uh, the bizarro body was destroyed by superman flying into it at great speed but it ended up you know um 
uh, curing Lucy Lane, who in John Byrne's version of it was blind. So it's it's kind of interesting that, that they're bringing that back. I wonder whether there are going to be echoes of that, uh, you know, tied into this, uh, you know, that uh, that maybe they were. I'm not saying they would follow it uh, directly, but they might be inspired by that. And that might be a reason why we're getting Lucy Lane at the same time as Bizarro. But, you know, it, it gives Tyler Hecklin something to do to play it. It seems like they're playing it. Uh, very straightforward, certainly not for laughs like Bizarro is often played. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what uh, what they'll do with it. Um, like, how much does he know of Superman? Does he know anything? What does he think of himself? And what is his origin? A lot of questions still to be answered. Yeah, 100%. Um, so for those out there playing at home, when Bizarro says the first thing that he says to Superman, he says, leave me alone. And then at the end, when he's at the fortress, he says, home. So, uh, there's that. Uh, my subtitles just said alien language. But apparently he is actually speaking backwards because the people on the internet played it backwards. And that's what uh, Bizarro said. Now, earlier in the episode, we had Clark still going through his um, episodes, as I called them last time you were with us, listeners. And uh, this time they went extreme because not only is he having visions of what, you know, basically what we can call him Bizarro now since we already discussed him, but he's having visions of what Bizarro is sort of seeing and then not only that in this episode he was also feeling what he was feeling so there's this whatever psychic connection if the professor is right which uh, listeners you already know you should not doubt the professor if this is some sort of uh, dod science project and they actually used some of superman's dna to create this clone Potentially, that's where this psychic connection is coming from. Um, What was interesting is that he was feeling everything that Bizarro was feeling, sort of like anger, isolation, a little bit of fear, and it was coming through... Through, through Clark, so anytime he was getting into a heated discussion with the boys, all these other feelings that were not his were coming out as well. What was interesting online, it, there was a theory online that um, I guess isn't really taking into account the professor's theory, it was just taking into account the theory of doppelgangers in the Arrowverse. If we remember... Sorry, spoiler alert for the listeners if you haven't caught up with Batwoman. But there was a storyline in which Alice and another Earth's Beth were within the same vicinity. And they were getting the headaches and that sort of thing that it seems like Clark was getting. I don't think they're going to go that route, that this is a doppelganger from a different Earth. But it was kind of interesting how the symptoms line up. Isn't it, Professor? Yeah, and it's also a good part of the misdirect because there's nothing in the uh, uh, in the Bizarro backstory uh, to suggest any sort of psychic link uh, with Superman, at least not that I've ever read. Um, so this was, you know, 
throwing that in uh, was, you know, kind of a great way to uh, to throw us off the scent. Uh, you know, so, you know, there there are many ways we could have, you know, you know, leapt to a, a bizarro conclusion. Uh, but, you know, they, they managed to to play it out quite well. I, I think it, it was interesting. It also, you know, uh, reinforced something from last season, which is the idea of, of Clark talking about the importance of control, you know, especially when he's around his family and the fact that he was losing control. Just how dangerous that makes him and how terrified that makes him, because as we saw, as, as was really established, you know, last season, the whole point of Superman is that he has to be so careful around humans all the time, including his own family and for him to lose control. What a terrifying thing that is. So, um, yeah, I, I liked the the introduction of that. Um, you know, he was set off partially by, you know, what Bizarro was feeling, uh, presumably, but also a little bit by, you know, his conditions as well. He was set off, you know, by the kids acting like, you know, annoying teenagers. So, you know, there, there was kind of, you know, a, a trigger to it. Most of the times, so occasionally, though, he did just, you know, have the collapse. So, you know, you, he would think that it was because of, you know, uh, the kids, but in in fact, he was just, you know, being triggered by something external. So I think, that, again, that was a great job of playing it out and, you know, using that as a form of misdirection for us. Very true. And can we all agree that that steel suit up was spectacular? The only problem is anything you do has already been done in the Iron Man movies. Oh, I mean, okay. He basically has done that several times. All right. The professor was not impressed. Millie Wood, were you at least impressed? I was impressed, but I do agree. It was very Iron Man-esque, but I'm easy to please. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh, oh no, 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 no. That is <laughs> bullshit. You do not give out a lot of Goldens. <laughs> okay, with like visual effects and stuff like that, I'm easy to please there. All right, she's trying to clean it up now, Professor. You, you see that? Or you hear that? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just glad you're holding her feet to the fire. I know, right? She's easy to please. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can tell yourself that while you look yourself in the mirror, and maybe you'll believe yourself, but I'm not buying it. Okay. So let's get into some of the teenage drama. And we immediately get, well, I don't want to say immediately, but in this episode, we get payoff to the weird theory that I got from the internet last week. And I can't even believe that we got the payoff already. So remember that dude, like everyone was thinking he was roiding up? Well, he was roiding up, but not with steroids. He was roiding up with X-Kryptonite. He's going to be the, the quarterback. There's this whole fight that um, that uh, Jonathan ends up getting into with him on the football field. You know, when, when Clark ends up pulling him out uh, of the field and into the locker rooms. Well, because Clark ends up getting sucker punched. That's a whole other tale. Um, Clark has one of his episodes and he, he, you know, heat visions his hands and all that kind of stuff. But um, but the fight ended up happening because this lug ended up telling Jonathan that his girlfriend, Candace, is the one that sold him. I don't even know. She gave him a whole crystal or, like, she she grinded it up. I don't know what she did. At the end of it, Jonathan ends up going to her and he's like, why didn't you tell me the truth? You said that he got it from a party and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, okay, are you going to break up with me? Are you going to snitch on me? And he's like, no, I want you to sell me stu- some of the stuff. 
I was like, oh, God. And Millie Wood, I need you, I need to know if you were like, oh, God. And what did you think of this? Were you surprised that we got this answer so soon? And uh, what do you think this means? Because so far, we've had Jonathan be, much like Lois, a non-powered person in this family. And since he does have Superman DNA in him, is the ex-Kryptonite going to trigger him in a much different sort of way? And are you looking forward to that? That is where my mind like went, like, oh, this can go wrong or it can go quote-unquote really well I guess so um it'll be kind of interesting to see which direction they go like does it trigger something does it a negative thing does he then you know is there dormant powers he has or something which because his brother has power so it'll be um quite a like interesting storyline there um but I was like oh goodness uh I could definitely see especially with like him feeling just it's kind of been like a rough transition for him um even though now he has a girlfriend he like still is having trouble making friends in the football team. So, of course, he, like, turns to drugs. Um, and I don't think that's going to go well. Um, and I already, like... You said, hopefully... of course he turns to drugs. That's funny. Have you seen Euphoria? You know, it's like... Well, yeah, Euphoria. <laughs> Professor, you should never watch Euphoria. It will change your mind about teens in America. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... It also just seems like very, you know, easy story, like a lot of, just super easy, like, story fodder there. Um, but I I hope that by the time his parents find out, especially Clark, like, he's past his whole rage uh, kind of episodes he has, because he will not be happy when they find out that he's going to take, like, ex-Kryptonite. Ain't that the motherfucking truth? I mean, come on. And this, the funny thing about the whole damn thing, and I know it, it's a teenager, and, and both of them were written as teenagers in this episode. But he goes throughout the whole damn episode talking about secrets and how secrets are bad, and you see what happened with Candace's secrets, and you see what happened with um, uh, uh, Jordan and etc., and now he goes and has his own secret. I, like, I guess, you know, he was feeling left out, and he decided that he needs his own secret. Like, I just, I was like, oh, God. And the fact that I'm sure he knows that it's ex-Kryptonite, because the girl was like, oh, it, you know, it's a special crystal that's only here in Smallville. Hello? I, I don't even know. I know he's a teenager. Teenagers make stupid decisions. Just look at Euphoria. But, Professor, your thoughts on Jonathan... And Millie Wood asked the right question, or she made the right statement. This could either go really wrong, or it could wake up some dormant type of stuff in him. Where do you think this is going to go, Professor? I don't really know, but, you know... Uh... Honestly, out of all the annoying teenage stuff in this episode, Jonathan, I found the least annoying. Um, you know, I, I would rank him far down the list of teens <laughs> that I just wanted to slap. Um, okay. Because we have this, this is, you know, paying off a long established thing for Jonathan, which is that football was his life in Metropolis. He was the number one quarterback. He comes to Smallville. He has to ride the bench. He's having to ride the bench again this season, and he finds out it's because the other guy is cheating. So his natural response 
as you know, a, a teenaged, uh, you know, uh, young man is going to be, well, I've got to do the same thing. And that's what people always say when it comes to, you know, steroids and sports. Well, I have to do it because the other guy is doing it. And if I don't, I'm at a competitive disadvantage. Is it the right decision? Oh, hell no. But it is an understandable decision from his point of view uh, of, of wanting to be, you know, the QB number one and not wanting to fall behind this, you know, frankly, you know, annoying douchebag uh, who uh, who is uh, is ahead of him on the team. The, the fact they made it his girlfriend who's doing this is interesting, a little weird, a little twisted. Um, but I, I mean, I certainly don't I certainly don't. Uh, condone what he's doing, but I do understand and accept it more than I understand and accept most of you know what the other teams were doing in this episode. So you know what I, I think it, it makes sense. Now, could it be that you know the the extra tonight will react to his uh, you know half alien physiognomy differently? I would be astonished if it didn't. Um, uh, what form that will take, who knows? This could be the route by which we get a, uh, a Jonathan uh, Kent having powers, uh, which is interesting i don't know if it's the way i would have wanted to go because it did really seem interesting uh to have a a non-powered jonathan sort of mirroring the non-powered lois uh in the family dynamic on the other hand you do sort of run out of stuff to to deal with if you've just got the one person who's having to constantly stay behind um this could um, perhaps lead us to a, a black lightning kind of situation where you know uh, Superman's out there with his two kids, you know, trying to teach them how to be heroes. So I think it, it might be interesting depending on, on, you know, what form, uh, you know, if it does indeed lead superpowers, we're sort of, you know, jumping ahead of ourselves, but I think it's entirely possible uh, that it, that, that could be our way of, of dealing with that. But here's the sitch. All right. Clark is assistant football coach. Once he sees that his son is playing so much better than he was before. Like, isn't he going to put two and two together? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, if he did put two and two together, he would just start assuming that Jonathan had started developing powers analogous to uh, to what uh, Jordan did. I don't think, uh, you know, uh, Clark's assumption would be, oh, my kid is juicing. Um, A, because I don't think okay, most parents true. would think that of their kids. Uh, and B, it, it's, uh, it's not the sort of thing you would expect from Jonathan. Also, let's face it, Clark's kind of busy with other stuff. I think that Clark's going to be missing a lot of subtle family dynamics. Ain't that the damn truth? Yes. In the comics, do both Jonathan and Jordan have powers? Uh, Jordan is a creation of the TV show. There's only ever been a Jonathan Kent in the comics. And oh, Jonathan okay. Kent is basically Superboy. So, okay. uh, yeah, this is, this is you know, entirely uh, 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 different what they're doing on the TV show. So there, there's really no comparison to make there. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just curious. I know that Jonathan is bisexual now in the comics. So there you go. That is true. Yes. All right. So let's talk about Jordan. Speaking of teenagers doing teenagery things, Jordan's storyline in this episode starts off where... Jordan is not wanting to deal with anything Sarah-related at the start of this episode. Uh, he, he Basically, when he sees her, he's like, you know, I just I don't really know where we go from here. And after, it feels like many pep talks. Um, you know, he finally ends up deciding to, to talk to her. Before all the pep talks, though, he wants to do something so fucking irrational that only a teenager would feel like this is the most appropriate thing to do. He wants to profess his love for her because she is the love of his life 
and he plans on marrying her. So he feels that she needs to know because of the secrets and the secret, secret, secrets, and I can't look at her face with with lying to her. He needs to tell her that he has superpowers, which will expose not only himself but his entire family. All right. I mean, I just, I couldn't. And I know that Clark was very gruff with him about it. And I know that that whole bizarro shit was like going through him. But I'm not going to lie. I was not mad at Clark for yelling and freaking Jordan the fuck out. Because he deserved to be scared straight. Because he was just being an irrational teenager. At the end of it all, he did not tell um, uh, uh, Sarah about it. But uh, he does have a conversation with Clark where Clark is like, if y'all are still together in a year, we can have a different conversation. Which I was like, I hope that they break up. Because he does not need to be telling 16-year-old Sarah about any of this. Anyway. So at the end of the episode, he ends up going and... uh, He basically proposes to her, although not really. He gives her this necklace that his grandfather had given his grandmother. Um, Why Clark would give him a sort of family heirloom to give to his first love, I don't fucking know. But he gives it to her, and he's basically like, I want to be with you forever. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what a 15-year-old will do. Okay, Millie Wood... You kind of heard my opinions about this as I was recapping and setting up the question for you. But what did you think of Jordan in this episode? Did you want to yell at him like Clark did when he was bizarred out? I wanted to shake him silly, for sure. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Oh, you wanted to get, like, violent. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly we, Clark having that anger burst and help and he was still stubborn but it was just I get it like it, it's very teenage and you know props to the writers for depicting a teenager as they should but it was also like you're 15 <laughs> he's so dramatic but um oh my god it, dramatic yes uh like 15 first girlfriend I mean honestly if I was Sarah I would be like running the other way because it's like too serious too fast like they're just started high school. Um, so I, I'm with you. I hope they don't last a year. Uh, and not only is it, like, putting his family at risk, but then, like, she probably will tell her mom, and that probably opens up a whole other can of worms. So it would just be like, very, very messy and probably best. But I did like how um, when he's having a conversation with his dad, he was like, did you tell Lana? And he said no. I thought that was kind of an interesting, like, like bigger picture of the story, Jordan. Like, see, you don't tell everybody. Can I tell you, I was I sort of laughed a little bit at how immediately he's, he was like, nope. He didn't even think about it. He didn't even have to be, you know, come up with a lie. He was like, no. And I was like, all right. I mean, that is, that's the truth, though. That is the truth. Although I wouldn't mind him telling Lana now. Um, but maybe in like a season or two. Um, I don't know. Professor, I'm going to bring you into the conversation. You talked about having issues with teenagers and stupidity. 
I don't know if you wanted to get as violent as Millie did, because she wanted to, like, actually physically shake the kid. But uh, what did you think of Jordan and his uh, massive stupidity in this episode? Well, again, you know, uh, frustrating though it is, he is a teenager. We we tend to forget that because, you know, the, the characters have been, you know, a little more mature. And one thing I have said in the past is I do kind of like, you know, the uh, the, 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 the the teen leads uh, on Superman and Lois because they're not playing like conventional teenagers in this episode. Wow. They just they steered into Riverdale territory. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, but it's kind of understandable, you know, even though it is incredibly frustrating and it's incredibly stupid. And, you know, it, it's not that I wanted to slap Jordan. It's that I wanted, you know, Clark to fire out with his laser vision and, you know, you know, zap the kid that way. Um, but it is understandable. Jordan is a teenage boy and he's the utterly soppy, Teenage boy, you know, like the fact that he gave uh, uh, Sarah, you know, the the locket at the end of it. You know, this this is who he is. It's it is, as was said, it's his first serious girlfriend. You know, he's head over heels. He's convinced that he wants to marry her and everything's going to play out this way. And of course, the parents are looking at that going, oh, you idiot. You have no idea. But you can't tell a teenager that I try to tell teenagers that all the time. Believe me, it never goes well. Um, I will be interested to find out. Did uh, did Clark give Jordan that locket or did Jordan maybe take that locket? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to find out? I think he gave it to him because he said, I got he probably gave it to him. Yeah, I know. But I think it would be a much more interesting thing if Jordan actually was like sneaking around, you know, behind their backs, you know, stealing a uh, family heirloom to give to his girlfriend. I think that would be more interesting. But, yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. That would be interesting, having him be a klepto. But still, I find, oh my god, like, that's a family heirloom. Like, that's the kind of thing that you give your wife. You're 15. Don't give it away to a stranger. But he's going to marry her. He already knows that. Yes, he is. And then they break up in about two episodes. Uh, Give me back my locket! Anyway. It was a lot. It was a lot. And Jordan was way too much. Are the kids on Riverdale really that stupid? I mean, they're having to oh, say. I, I don't think so. Okay. Well, the thing is, the, the kids on Riverdale are, are, are in their 30s. So it's, that is uh, true. It'll probably yeah. be even more annoying to, uh, to look at that. Yeah, and they're having way more sex than any of these teens. One hopes. Okay, there you go. All right, so we've talked about the two Kent children. Let's talk about the mother. Lois got a lot this episode. She got a lot of heavy material in this episode because uh, she initially calls up her father, who's gone fishing, like literally, um, to to ask for a favor so that uh, irons can get onto the mines. We'll talk about that in a little bit because I have a big question about that. Uh, so, but, but then he ends up hearing... Clark in the background and and everything that's going on and so he actually shows up and that allows Lois to deal with family trauma mainly Lucy uh and the cult and this that of the other uh the cult lady Allie Alston is out there being all culty you know YouTubing it up and all that type of shit we learned that there was an interesting dynamic 
within the family in regards to Lucy's experience with the cult. Sam pretty much was hands off and uh, and and really um, wasn't involved at all as far as getting Lucy out of the cult. He explained that once his wife left, he uh, he knew he 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 wasn't going to be a good father, so he kind of uh, uh, kept pre- kept himself preoccupied with what he knew he could do well, which is run the DOD. He never read the article that Lois wrote after she saved Lucy from the cult. And, uh, yeah, the, the family dynamic is um, interesting, to say the least. Sam ends up reading the article, and after Lois asks him to reach out to Lucy so that she can talk to Lucy, because, you know, she wants to get ahead of... Uh, anything that this Alston person is doing. Um, you know, after initially hesitating, he says that he contacted her and that she agreed to meet with Lois. There's this whole thing where we see Lois getting ready. She's wearing her little jacket, but she's not sure if she's supposed to wear the jacket because she wears it a lot and she thinks she looks like she's in a biker gang. It was adorable. And hello, Lois. But when Lois shows up and is waiting for Lucy... Lucy doesn't show up, because the professor, as he always is, was right. It looks like Lucy is back with the cult, because Allie Alston shows up and is like, Lucy thought it would be best that I talk to you. So, there we go. Lois's big bad for this season has officially made um, herself known. To Lois. Now, internet sleuths have uh, figured out that maybe this Allie Alston person could be based on a comic book character with the last name Alston. And that character is known as Parasite. I don't know if this is the Parasite in the flesh here on Superman and Lois. Professor, you can fill us in on who this parasite person is. Some people think that maybe Allie Alston could be a front for Granny Goodness. I don't know if Allie Alston is exhibiting any goodness qualities, but Professor, you are our comic book aficionado. You can fill us in as well. I'm saying your name a lot because, yes, Professor, I'm asking you first. What did you think of Lois' storyline? What did you think of the family tension between her and Papa Lane? And uh, are you proud of yourself for being correct that Lucy is back in the cult? And that's why we got the Allie Alston woman showing up at the diner. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm proud of myself. I think it's, it's necessary because, you know, if Lucy was out of the cult, it's like, well, I guess we wrapped up that storyline pretty quickly. Um, so you, you kind of have to do that. And again, we're looking for something for Lois to do. We need something where Lois is exerting her reporter moxie, uh, showing her strength and going up against a cult leader is, is a good test for her. She's done it once, but obviously, you know, her sister's back in the cult. So, you know, suddenly, you know, it becomes personal and, and everything in Superman 
and Lois is about family. Even, you know, the introduction of Bizarro, assuming that we find out that, you know, Bizarro was somehow created from Clark. The fact that they have this link, there is a family element to everything. Um, I don't think Allie's going to turn out to be a supervillain. Uh, Parasite we had already on Supergirl. Remember the, the big purple guy who steals your powers? Uh, that was Parasite. Um, Granny Goodness is interesting, but it's New Gods territory, Apocalypse. And again, there's no reason why uh, Granny Goodness would go after Lucy Lane or just found a cult. She would be a much higher level threat. She would be a Superman threat, not a lowest threat. So I think it's much more interesting if they choose to make her just. Now, they didn't do that last season, obviously, with the Morgan Edge thing. Um, not Morgan Edge, but well, yes, yeah, Morgan Talro. Um, but I think it's it's much more interesting if this is you know, Lois going up against, you know, someone who's not a superpowered foe, but someone who has power, has control, has, you know, uh, is a manipulative uh, person and Lois being forced to fall back on her, her, you know, innate journalistic skills. And, you know, with Clark being busy with his thing, you know, being forced to carry this on her own. I think it's a much more interesting storytelling idea than simply having, you know, Lois going up against someone who's a, a superpowered being as well. So my guess would be she's, you know, quote unquote, just going to be a, a cult leader. Okay, I can dig that. I'm, I, yeah, I don't mind that at all. Millie Wood, your take on all of the Lane family drama. I'm excited for this cult, quote-unquote, nemesis, big bad, I guess. Um, I like that we, like, Lois is getting more of uh, an actual storyline, and it's separate from kind of, Clark and the kids, uh, so that will be fun to watch and interesting, and I think it definitely gives uh, Betsy Tulloch, you know, more room to show her acting chops. Uh, she's already done, like, really great job thus far, um, so it'll be exciting to see more of those, especially when we finally get to see her sister, because I feel like that's going to be a um, very tense conversation. Um, I just want to say, like, the uh, cult leader, she has a very like, culty look to her. <laughs> like, she, you look at her, she's like someone that would be a cult leader. I feel like how we often say, oh, if the, it's like a male, white male, they're going to be evil. Like, she kind of has that uh, same vibe as, like, a white female. I don't know. I thought it was well-casted for some reason. It was like, nice job. Yeah, she looks creepy as fuck. I mean, let's just be honest. In a good way. I mean, she's supposed to be creepy as fuck because she's a cult leader. Yeah, and she's supposed to be also charismatic, and, and I got that from, like, the YouTube clip that we saw from her. Um, yeah, I'm interested in finding out what the hell the cult is about. Like, she had, like, cosmic stuff in the background, so I'm like, okay. Like, we've seen cosmic cults in the Arrowverse before over on Supergirl, so, yeah, I, I wonder what it is that this, I mean, she's kind of, um, it, it seems based off of what she had around her, that she's professing herself to be like a self-help empowerment type of guru person. I wonder like where that front like shifts into it being a cult. So far, we only have Lois saying that it's a cult. So, like, I, I need, and, and I believe Lois, you know, she's Lois Lane, uh, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, all around badass, so I believe her. I just need to know where the cult-like activity comes from. I mean, clearly somebody died, 
and we know that Lucy almost died. So, so that sounds very nefarious, but uh, I need some backstory about it. I don't know if we would ever get like a full episode of backstory with Lucy, um, but at, at least some flashbacks I think would be nice or a little bit more exposition about what the cult's activities were would be nice. Okay, so while all of this is going down, John Henry Irons volunteers to go into the mines under the ruse that he is there to sort of investigate the tragedy that happened at the mines. Dr. Faulkner ends up giving him a tour, and once he figures out that explosives were involved, he gets a flashlight to the head. Not once, but twice, so double ouch. He does end up coming to, and as I mentioned, has at least a, a moment of VFX um, spectacularness that I thought. Uh, everything that's going on in the mines sort of adds to his story because, uh, you know, his daughter, Natalie, ends up finding out that he's been stealing it up, and she doesn't approve because he had made a promise to her. It's a new earth, a new life, but he ends up basically saying, as he apologizes for not letting her know, that, uh, you know, things aren't going to be normal for them ever again. And uh, she does say that she is going to end up helping him fix the suit. She just wishes that it wasn't in a bar, and he's like, well, maybe I can fix that. I don't know what that means, but uh, maybe one of you has the answer to that. So uh, let's talk about the Steele family dynamic in this episode, as well as, I mean, clearly, uh, clearly, um, uh, uh, John knows that Faulkner is up to no good. Uh, and the fact that she just hit him over the head with, with the damn flashlight, I, I don't know what she thought was going to happen. But anyway, I, she's going to leave him for dead in the mines? I don't know. Um, so let's see, who's going to go first? Millywood, I'll ask you first. What would you think of the Steele family dynamic? And uh, yeah, what would you think of what happened to Irons in the mines? Uh, you know, we've been talking about this doctor, and clearly she's up to no good. I know we were, like, kind of harping on how, like, Jordan and Jonathan were being depicted in their teens, um, but I feel like the same is with uh, Natalie, but I don't know if I like it. Like, I get she's worried about her dad's new dynamic, but I feel like we reverted back to kind of the bratty um, way that we she was in the previous episode, or um, the first episode. Um, it just, she seems, like, annoying in a way, in my opinion, um, and I just feel like maybe it's, they don't really know what to do with the character or how they want to flush her out but i feel like she's kind of been in, like inconsistent on how much i like her and how likable mm-hmm. she is um from there but i also get like she wants to know her dad isn't safe um i when they said that they're going to uh, upgrade the barn or like work on that I, i'm picturing a very teched out barn um like it kind of bring it into the future i was oddly excited for that um so <laughs> i have high hopes for this barn project <laughs> that oh, okay probably well not do any but that's kind of what i thought um and then with the him in the like minds when they were like looking like okay maybe she's you know we can trust the doctor of course we couldn't um i'm like yeah she had seen that coming like poor john getting hit in the head uh i am curious like 
how involved she is in all of this and, and exactly what, what their end goal is. So, um, and I, I kind of like her presence. I think that uh, she makes an interesting, quote-unquote, villain. Yeah, I agree with you on that. She's got really good villain vibes. Um, I have no idea where this is going. Clearly, it's leading to a, a bigger bad. Uh, somebody has to run Amertech. So whoever is the person that she was talking to on the phone, that person is like the big, big bad of uh, this storyline. So we're going to have to wait and see who that is. And uh, it's interesting. You you mentioned, you know, your opinions on, on Natalie and that sort of thing. I wasn't that annoyed with her. I, I did feel like, you know, she was like, ugh. He didn't tell me, and this sort of thing. I'm like, you're the child. Like, he doesn't have to tell you. Like, just wait to hear what he has to say. So I did find that a tad bit annoying. I didn't feel like she was as annoying as, like, Jordan. Um, he was a lot. Professor, I know that you've been kind of eh, with Natalie as well. What did you think of her and, and Irons uh, this episode? Uh, she was super annoying. Uh, I'm totally okay. uh, with Millie on this one. Uh, part of it is, and this is not the the actress's fault, but she has resting whiny teen face. Uh, you know, when she's just sort of standing there, she looks like she's getting ready to whine about something. Um, so uh, that's the problem. Um, even you know, at the it was a great payoff of the scene where she's like, you know, berating her father for going out there. Uh, and then, you know, immediately sort of lapses into, you know, the engineering thought, well, and going out with the suit like this when, you know, here are the problems that I could easily fix, da 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 That was a nice touch, but, you know, she, I didn't think she was selling it that well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, her, her, you know, she's, she's the kid. She doesn't get to tell her father what to do. Um, you know, if, if he's choosing to help the, the Kents, who, by the way, are letting you stay, I'm assuming, rent-free on their farm when you've got nowhere else to go. So, you know, maybe cut him some slack for wanting to help him out a little bit, you whiny little. <laughs> all right well maybe i'm wrong in this situation maybe she was a whiny teen but they were all whiny teens in this episode let's be real although i think we can all agree jordan was the worst out of all of them right i found natalie as annoying as john as jordan i should say really yeah all right I feel like you're wrong with that. I feel like Jordan was the worst, but all right, all right. Okay. Well, the only non-whiny teen in the entire episode was the one who was selling drugs, so. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, she's making money, so she can't whine. And she's doing it to help her father out, so, you know. Yes, I know, an honorable teen uh, pusher, which, you know, you don't That's find those. That's what I always say when they ask me them. why I'm manufacturing and distributing drugs. And no, I'm just doing it to help my family. Exactly, and that's how you, you know, in Canada, it's you get a, like a slap on the wrist or something. I don't know Canadian law, clearly. Okay, so let's move over to the Cushing family. Because the Cushings, they have a little bit of, uh, of a, um, well, have a little bit of a disappointment. But then it turns into, like the frown turns upside down by the end of the episode. Lana ends up having her first uh, get-to-know-me-as-a-candidate type of thing at the diner, because that's the only place you could do it at, I guess. And initially, things are going well. She's trying to seem, you know, prepared and polished, because she feels like that's the type of candidate 
Smallville wants to see presented, especially going after the incumbent mayor. But then the town drunk, I don't know if he's the town drunk, but he seemed very disheveled, so I'm going to call him the town drunk. He starts pointing out all of Lana's defects. Oh yeah, you know the loan thing? Well, what about when you did the whole thing over there with the mortgages, the reverse mortgages? I remember when you had people sign up for Morgan Edge, and oh, you didn't know about that. Was that going to be your answer when you're the mayor? And I was like, oh god, man, please shut up. You're a plant from the incumbent. But anyway... Lana gets discouraged, you know, maybe I'm not the right choice, you know, because of, you know, I, I didn't handle that well. And then she gets a pep talk from who, who would have thought? From Sarah, of all people. And so she ends up doing an Instagram Live where she's making some sort of pasta dish. And uh, she, she lets the Smallville people get to know her as herself. And she decides to answer questions on uh, Instagram Live. But she needs her glasses because she can't read them. And I don't even know if she knows how to do the IG Live because she was looking down and she wasn't even, the camera wasn't even on her. So I was very confused as to what the hell she was doing at a certain point. I guess she paused the feed or something. I don't know. But uh, it looks like Lana is ready for the campaign trail. And clearly she's going to be the mayor. I feel like we all know this. Like, clearly, she's going to be the mayor. She's going to be Mayor Lana uh, Cushing, yes. Um, Yes, clearly. But it was a cute little storyline for her. She also had a nice little moment with uh, Sarah, where she kind of confesses everything that's been going on. And uh, she was an incredibly progressive parent, because she didn't judge where when um, Sarah was like that she kissed a girl, which was really nice and lovely to see. If this had been a scene maybe 10 years ago, I think the conversation would have been hella different on television. But anyway, I digress. So let's talk about this. Lana, she got a little bit of a disappointment, but then, you know, she kind of, uh, you know, took the disappointment, learned from it, and is showing more of her authentic self on the campaign trail. I don't know if either of you have any opinions on this storyline, But I'll open the floor up, whoever wants to jump in first, on everything Lana Cushing this episode. I like that they're not making it too easy for her, the fact that she's not a natural doing this. You know, we saw in the last episode, she wanted to achieve her vengeance on the mayor by helping someone else run, uh, take him down, sort of had to convince herself uh, to, uh, to do the job herself. And she's, you know, she's not comfortable doing that. You know, she's not comfortable in front of a crowd. I like that. Uh, I kind of like the fact they're bringing up, you know, Hey, you've got failings in your past. Why should we trust you? As I say, I don't want this to be a situation where everyone suddenly goes, yeah, we're just going to go behind this new person. Um, and also, you know, it, in, in terms of politics, you know, politics can be pretty toxic. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that that becomes something that, you know, people start going after, you know, uh, Lana's backstory or her relationship with Kyle or her family or something like that. Because, you know, as I say, politics are pretty toxic. And I would imagine the long serving and entrenched mayor has plenty of friends and uh, that there will be, you know, consequences for her deciding to to go up against him. All right, all right. Millie Wood, what about you? Any thoughts on Lana not being a pro on the campaign trail? I totally agree with what the professor said. Like, it can't be a walk in the park, and she, you know, she's been there for a while, so people know that she, you know, is not perfect, and I think that's fine. Um, 
it will be interesting to see how she fights if you know they do get dirty in the politics because clearly the other mayor is not that good so they have a lot of dirt on him definitely run a campaign against him on that i did think the moment was cute i feel like we don't see her like interacting with her kids much so it's nice to see that little moment between her and sarah i was also confused about how she's operating instagram and i don't know if smallville voters are on instagram but you know she's not a politician or this isn't like her day job i know perhaps the realest teenage moment in the episode was the fact that you know oh my parents having a problem i know let's go to social media that'll solve everything (laughs) yes but sarah was like i would say when you were said that the drug pusher i didn't think sarah was that annoying in this episode but she didn't really get much to do outside of, you know. Maybe I'm just, you know, the fact that she immediately went to Instagram. Instagram. Okay. I don't like her because of that. All right. Well, there is that. Okay. I feel like we covered everything. But was there anything that I missed? A tiny little moment that either of you would like to chat about before we head into the MVP? Uh, there were two moments for me, uh, and they're both in the in the same vein. We've talked before about you know, uh, you know, Bitsy Tulloch and, and Tyler Hecklin having the, the the marvelous chemistry. They really feel like a couple that you know honestly loves each other and has been together for years. And we had two instances of that. There's the one that you mentioned where you know Lois was uh, you know nervous about going to see uh, um, uh, Lucy. Lucy, and you know. And, yeah, where uh, so Lois is uh, is is you know I'm should I wear this and and you know Clark is basically narrating her getting into the car and now she's getting into the car and now she's leaving which I thought was delightful but even better was the scene where uh, you know on the porch uh, where they're talking and uh, you know Clark is you know expressing you know his concerns about you know you know being a bad parent and the damage they might have and and Lois says well you know I my mom uh, left us and uh, you know I turned out pretty well and Clark starts to say something she says watch yourself and he says i was just going to say so much better than all right and it just again the chemistry between those two is a sheer delight yes they are hella adorable i co-sign all of that yes uh yeah so uh oh i think the only thing that i forgot to mention was that uh, lane was basically telling clark that he should tell anderson about what's going down and he's like, no, 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 uh, I don't want the kids involved, a.k.a. the Superman of America. And, but uh, Lane is like, they aren't, they aren't kids, and um, it looks like you might need all hands on deck. But um, he was pretty confident saying that he and Steel would be taking care of the situation at hand. All right, so it's uh, MVP time, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So... Choose wisely. Millie Wood, who's your MVP and why? I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'll have to give my MVP to Clark. Uh, I mean, this is a lot about both, you know, him or Tyler Hecklin pulling double duty, but also um, just showing, like, the little differences in, like, Clark and then him being out of control and those, like, rage episodes and everything like that and uh just also the small moments that he had that the press point out with lois it was all just really well done i think kind of was the glue of the episode this time around a very good choice professor what about you who's your mvp well, I have to give it to the uh, the obvious second choice then, which is uh, Lois. Uh, you know, I think you know Bitsy Tulloch is doing a great job of playing a, a the conflicted version 
of uh, of Lois. We're accustomed to seeing this, you know, absolutely ballsy, confident, uh, you know, reporter uh, version of of Lois. But watching her as she's so nervous about uh, dealing with Lucy again, um, you know, unable to reach out to her own sister, uh, and you know, uh, really, you know, everything she played here, you know, the the the, the way she could be very strong when dealing with Clark, but you know, she's still dealing with her own, uh, you know, her own fears and weaknesses uh, as well. I, I think she's doing a fantastic job of selling this. And also, as I said, you know, the chemistry that she has uh, with, with Clark is, uh, is off the charts. Another fantastic choice. And I'm going to go with Lana for me, because both of y'all actually picked the correct people. But Lana was fantastic in this episode. Uh, from being a mom, you know, worrying about the cake for Sarah's quinceañera, to being on the campaign trail, and as the professor said, you know, not being perfect, you know, striving to be perfect because she thought that's what uh, the Smallville people wanted. But then after a really good pep talk from her teenage daughter, you know, you know, she was like, you know, I need to be my authentic self. And, and yes, she went to social media to do it. But once Lana was being just Lana, she became immediately, um, just incredibly engrossing. You know, she became relatable. And I think Smallville is going to react to that versus uh, probably what we're going to get from the incumbent, which is just sort of like the typical politician shtick. So I I think Lana may have found, uh, you know, the kryptonite that she's going to use against the mayor. Um, No pun intended. But, yeah, so I'm going to give it to her. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? It could be a tattered cape. We saw that in this episode. The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Professor, let's start with you. You know, a, a solid episode, some some great development, but a bit too much uh, whiny teen for my taste. Uh, so I'm going to give it, I'll give it a 7.8. You got a 7.8, so that's, that's a Millie Wood type of rating from the professor. Uh, since I mentioned you, Millie Wood, you're next. Actually, I have a higher rating than the professor. Oh. <laughs> um, I think I'll have to go with 8.3 red capes. It was... Honestly, like, mostly through, I was like, well, I think it's going to go, like, lower rating because it just felt a little slow um, and a lot going on. And maybe it is the whiny teen stuff uh, is what disinterests me. But it was kind of hard to really, like, pay, like, buy into a lot of it up until the ending, which I had to give it an extra few points because uh, I did like the whole misdirect. It was a really good job at that. But for the most part, it felt like it was really just setting up for the uh, reveal at the end. Which was a spectacular reveal. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, interestingly enough, this was not planned because I had no idea we were going to get a 7.8, which is a strange number by itself, and an 8.3, which is an equally strange number. But decimal, you know, the point system is allowed and all that kind of stuff. It's in the rules. I'm going to come in with an 8. Uh, I thought it was a fine episode. I do agree some of the teenage drama did weigh it down a little bit, but the reveal was spectacular. And y'all know I love that steel moment with slow-mo. I thought that was fantastic as well. And some of the performances were really, really good, especially from the grown-ups in this episode. Uh, so I would say it's a rewatchable episode. Maybe fast-forward some of the teen drama. Uh, 
uh, and and stick to the grown-ups this time around because they do a really great job in this episode. And this is no diss to the actors playing the teen characters. It's just the teens were very teeny in this episode. And teeny, I, I mean teenagery. So yeah, an eight for me. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. And the professor. Good night, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the Papi Chula Radio Archives. Good night.